Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How are you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. How about you? I'm okay. It's a bit of volatility in the markets. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's always something we we're going to talk about. We'll we'll get to the reason for the volatility in a minute. I think we've got um, a very interesting show today. One of the things, common themes that we see in retirement, of course, is this notion of uh, aging and where do you live, right? How do you have the best experience, the highest quality of care and quality of life that you can have as you retire? We're going to call part of the show the mental and physical well-being for you as you go through retirement. Okay. How do you have your mental mindset ready to go through retirement? And then what about those issues on the healthcare side in the future, long-term care, home care? We're going to be covering all of that today. And then also at the, at the bottom half of our show, we're definitely going to talk about this uh, concept that you really like that uh, people are investing in, um, bonds. Called bonds? Yeah. It's called bonds. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a great show to me. Let's, yeah, uh, let's, let's get after this. it. Okay. Let's talk about the volatility this week. Um, and there was lots of it. So uh, last Thursday, um, we, we, uh, we had a situation start to flare up in the United States with banks. And there was a couple of very specialized banks that we talked about last week that uh, that got shut down. Effectively, the authorities took them over in a very, very uh, short period of time to make sure that depositors were going to be taken care of and that there wasn't going to be um, a run on banks, so create a bigger contagion right, with banks. And, and that has persisted into this week. That volatility has persisted. Yeah, and it's spilt over to other parts of the world as well, Europe, Japan, <laughs> so forth. And so the, the question always comes into play is two parts. One, uh, a little bit of a trigger from 2008 came up, and then so is that going to happen again? Um, so what does that mean for the banking system, especially here in Canada? What are the impacts here? I think so far people are realizing that it's not as bad as it was in 2008, but there will be some um, collateral damage. It's, not, it's most likely not going to be here in Canada. It's most likely going to be in other parts of the world where they have different regulations. And we forget sometimes that we're really regulated here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we get frustrated by that, but on other times like this, uh, we're quite happy that there was that, those regulations brought into place. So, and don't forget back in 2008-9 um, for Canadian banks, right? Canadian banks were tested at a time when a lot of the regulations that we have in place today for other global banks, liquidity Correct. and capital controls, were not in place. And Canada came out as the leader. Correct. Right? The Canadian banking system was the global leader. Correct. So from a bank security perspective, uh, do not expect all banks all around the world to be okay. Right. Uh, expect some to come up under the uh, this this issue. Uh, from a Canadian banking perspective, we see that things are are gonna are gonna pan out okay from a stability perspective. Yeah. The other side of this is, what the heck's happening with my investments? It's been a tough 2022. You know, we thought at the beginning of 2021. Hey, oh, sorry, 2023. Things are looking good. Mm-hmm. Uh, then February came, and now March is here, and it's called March Madness. <clears throat> For a reason, it's not yep. only the the the, uh, the college sports; it's also in the markets right now. And we have this March Madness happening, and so where 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 do people go with this now that they're transitioning to, or you're just retired, or you're already retired? You know, you have these types of of issues come up. What do you do in your in your portfolio, in your investment strategy? to make sure you're going to be able to weather this storm, get through this, and still have the lifestyle that you want? Yeah, I think it's an awesome question. And um, I'm going to go back to the superpowers that we talk about, structure and discipline. And I want to talk about structure because I think there's a, there's a critical uh, missing piece for many people as they move into retirement uh, in, in, their, in their planning, in their wealth planning. And we call it the income bucket. Correct. Right? And so 
the income bucket for, for perhaps our new listeners talks about the idea of predictability and sustainability to the extent we can get it tax efficiency in the cash flow that we receive to live off of, you know, to live our life, whatever that we, we envision. And Faisal, you and I know, we've been doing this a long time, that you don't want to have that portion of your portfolio exposed to what we would call risk assets, to things that have high volatility that, you know, can crash and you have to take from that at an inopportune time. And so this notion of structure that we talk about, this is the perfect environment. I, I was speaking with somebody this morning uh, prior, um, uh, you know, prior to coming here and doing this, and we were talking about this particular point. This environment, in my opinion, is really what separates proper structure from a retirement perspective from other structures. And here's what I, what, what I want to kind of emphasize on your point here, is that um, the people who are biggest at risk right now right. are the ones who are retiring or just retired and are living off of the gains of a portfolio mm-hmm. or just the dividends of the portfolio. Right. And, and that way they are literally now have to adjust. Potentially this could be catastrophic to some degree about what's happening with their money long term. Right. Those who have structure have separate pools of capital for income, not invest in the stock markets. So you're not having the stock market right. volatility. And then you have your growth perspective where it is invested in a well-diversified, we call it the five pillars. When you have that structure and you stick to that structure, you don't deviate from that structure. That's what protects you. And I think right now, so many individuals are looking at their, their statements and saying, oh my God, I'm down for the past, whatever, let's call it 18 months. Mm-hmm. I'll make up that number. I'm down 18 months. How am I going to be able to retire or will my re- retirement be able to sustain my life, my, my cash will be able to sustain myself? Those who are living off of dividends and gains or capital gains of their portfolio, welcome to the reason why we say structure and discipline is your superpower. Because they're different goals, right? Income has a different goal than growth does. And our industry has done a very good job at saying you need to grow your money, so you need all forms of, of uh, growth, interest, dividends, capital gains. But when it comes to an in, an, a, a retirement income portfolio, yeah. they're saying live off the dividends because in the past 15 years or so, dividends were better than interest. Now we have a different debate. And so what are they going to say? Just go to bonds? Right. So they're going to switch back and forth, but you're going to increase or decrease volatility along the way. It's not sustainable. That's the lack of discipline. Right. That has no structure. Right. That is just going to the area which has the best yield at the time. Right. And you do not want to chase yield when there's volatility attached to yield. Right. And so this is where the structure comes into play. Dave, we only have a couple minutes left. Um, what are the two things that people need to remember when it comes to structure and discipline heading from this point going forward, regardless if you're approaching, living in retirement, or just about to retire? Well, listen, I, I'm just going to give one thought um, because sometimes it gets overwhelming. Uh, the number one thing is you have to recognize that as you're moving into retirement or you're living in retirement, that the goals and objectives have changed. The complexity has just gone up and you need to start separating the wealth that you've generated throughout your life into various, we call them buckets, that have very specific goals attached to it. And please, please, your, your goal for income is, and, and the objective and the investment thesis and strategy is very different from what you'll use in a growth strategy. Now, healthcare costs are going to be a big concern in the future. Now, our bias on this is that we do not believe 
that the government will be able to provide the same type of support financially for, for Canadians going forward as they age. There'll be more out-of-pocket expenses. And so what we need here is, is to have a strategy in place to understand the difference between income and growth. Healthcare costs have to come into play. And when you have those healthcare costs, you're going to make a big decision there. Do I stay in my home? Do I stay in a home? And there's going to be a big, big issue with that. Dave, you know, when we look at all these concerns, how do you make things work? How do you right, figure all the pieces, right? How do you make it all work together? And so we definitely need to have a chat about that. And I'm looking forward to our next piece of our conversation coming up after the break. If you don't have four buckets outlining income, growth, health care costs in the future, yep. and legacy, you are now hoping that your retirement works out. You know, Faisal, um, I've spoken a lot about my personal experience with my mom um, and her journey with dementia and all the different things that that's meant uh, from a family perspective. And, you know, part of, part of it is, uh, is where, does, where should mom be living, right? We've talked about all those different elements where she should be living and why. What's the best experience that she can be having? And I had a very good experience with a group that helped me come to some conclusions about where mom should be and for what reason she should, what kind of care she should have. And I think that's a problem that'll, uh, it's a question, it's a concern, it's an anxiety that lots of families have. Let me take it back in your journey. Um, there was a point in time, and, and fill in the blanks for me if you can, Dave, mm. where there was a, a choice between living in her own home mm-hmm. or going into a home. And there was some resistance to some degree from mom on this. Well, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it might actually have been my resistance when I did the postmortem. My resistance. Because you remember my experience when, when dad passed was that I had mom live with me. Yeah. Move in with me. Yeah. Now, at the time, I don't think I fully appreciated what she was experiencing with her dementia. But I pretty quickly uh, came to the conclusion that that she was becoming socially isolated living at my house because I was away at work and she's there all by herself, right? And so that was the first trigger for me. I don't think it was unsafe for her to be at my house. It would be unsafe now. But at the time, I thought, oh, my goodness, like she doesn't get out. She's got no friends here. She doesn't drive anymore. What am I I supposed to do here? This doesn't seem right. And that started the exploration for me. And and not everybody will experience um, the hardship of dementia. There may be physical ailments where they cannot care for themselves and you're at this inflection point i'll call it where you have to discuss with that individual and let's call it your parent make it make it simple and have that discussion of well what should we do for care is it in your own home or in a home and and then how do you get them to kind of see the other side of this because sometimes we're just kind of stuck in and i can only see my father at this point if when he if and when he gets his point where he'll say, I'm going to stay in my house. Do not send me into a, into a long-term care facility. There's no way. And then now you're, you're trying to make everything work because of that decision yep. without kind of, quote-unquote, convincing him that maybe a facility is a better output than, than being at home alone because of social isolation and other issues as well. And then making that decision, of course, in amongst all the emotions is very difficult, which is why I think I found it very valuable to have help. And I want to introduce Kathy uh, Mendham, who's been on this show before. Kathy, welcome back. Kathy is the founder, and she's also a seniors advisor, but she's the founder of Proactive Seniors. Kathy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, you guys. It's always nice to be here. 
So we give you a little bit of a, a preamble and a run-up there. There are lots of options, Kathy. I'd like you to speak to the process, if you will, a little bit about helping families assess, mm-hmm. um, uh, assess one of their loved ones, a parent, what their needs are and what the best standard of care is at that point in time. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you guys make a really good point in your discussion about that dilemma of whether to stay home or whether to move into a care facility. And it's a very common dilemma because a lot of seniors will have a preconceived notion and family members will have a preconceived notion of what a care facility is like. And so I think one of the first things families need to do is explore both options and understand what does the scenario look like of staying at home. It can be done. It absolutely can be done. You can have all sorts of care come into the home. You can have public home care. You can add private home care on top of that. You can actually have public home care pay for some of your private home care. Um, And there's all sorts of other service providers that can come into the home. But that can get pretty complicated. And and like you said, Dave, it also can be still pretty isolating sometimes if there isn't any social supports. So we really encourage people to explore that avenue, but also explore the avenue of what would it look like moving into a residential setting and what are your options in that circumstance because you can have both public and private options there too and interestingly more often than not families will come around the senior and their their adult children will come around to the idea of a residential facility sooner than they would have thought because there's a lot of benefits there, and um, socialization's a really big one. So, and, and another one that's really big is just the, the less complexity of care. So if you have a lot of people coming and going out of your house, you've got caregivers coming multiple times during the day because yep. you need care regularly during the day, it can actually be a lot easier to be in a facility where the care is just there. So it's worth exploring both avenues. So, Kathy, um, I hope my father's not listening to this segment with all due respect (laughs) because I'm going to pick on him. Um, Let's say I'm having this conversation with dad and it's time that we have that discussion of either in the home or in a home and he's just resistant. He doesn't want to move in with me, maybe because he probably doesn't like me. Um, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to uh, go into a long-term care facility because that's for other people, not me. I want to be in my home. Um, let's retrofit. Let's get all the services. Let's handle all this if we need to. Um, there's a financial side of this, of course. We have to look at that, but there's a non-financial piece of it. How do I assess and how do I have that conversation with my father in this example of, well, Dad, let's look at all the options. Let's see what's best uh, together versus me being an, an advocate for one option versus the other. Well, that's yeah. It's a very challenging position to be in, and sometimes it helps to bring in someone else, you know, to bring in someone other than family to say, let's have a frank and and um, very factual conversation of what does that look like to stay home. You're right, there's a lot of financial issues with staying home, but there's that emotional attachment, and I find with a lot of people there's some pride, because if they say okay, I'll move, they've, they've kind of feel like they've given up, right? And, and I think that's a, a misconception that needs to be worked through. But, you know, um, bringing in someone outside the family can diffuse that emotion quite a bit because there might be some suspicions of you're pushing me one way because this is what you want. Mm-hmm. So bringing in an advisor, whether, um, you know, a public 
through the public health, you can have a case manager come and do an assessment and give their recommendation as to whether staying home or care is is required. And you can have a private company such as ours that can come in and do that same evaluation and say, here's what it would look like to stay home. Are you really willing to do all of these things? And here's the alternative. It, it is really great if the senior can at least go see some of those alternatives because I find what happens is they either double down and they say yep still not for me but that's still a good outcome to know they are very committed to staying home and then you can put the effort into that or often they'll say hey this isn't what I thought it was I think I could do this you know I think I would be happy here or I'm willing to give it a try Another concept is just to, to say, you know, try staying at home for a while and you can even try living in a residence for a while and keep your home and then see which one is working out better. So mm -hmm. it's not like any particular decision is the only, you've, you've decided and that's it. You, you can still change your mind and go the other direction. Kathy, we have less than one minute to, to go here. Um, with everything that's happened in the pandemic, there's still a fear of going into a long-term care facility because of what's gone on. And that fear is pushing people to stay at home to some degree. Um, what's been the changes in these facilities, if any, uh, that would give more comfort for people to explore or maybe even uh, move into a long-term care facility? Yeah, there definitely have been changes, both in the public and the private sector. Uh, increased staffing has been one, so having more staff available so people are getting a higher level of care. They're definitely directing more funded dollars towards having high staff, higher staff numbers. The second thing is to have more staff working full-time. That was one of the biggest issues during the pandemic, is so many of the caregivers were working at multiple sites, and so that infection transmission was was just going out of control so there's a big push towards having everybody working full-time and working in one site so that's going to make a big change and there's a real trend towards less shared rooms so some of the older facilities do have shared rooms and they have different ways of isolating sectors of the building if there is infection going on but anything new is being built with single non-shared rooms Kathy, we have to leave it there. I want, to, I want to thank you again for your input. We'll keep in touch on this. It's a huge issue that's going to touch many, many, many Canadian families. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. The retirement process is about more than money. Why, you know, that's why we <laughs> called the show More Than Money, right? But And particularly at times like this, Faisal, people get so trapped up in, in, in the short term, and it's all about the money. And it shouldn't be. So I was talking to a friend of mine and his father and I were chatting at, at, at their home and the whole conversation was about the portfolio, how much money they have. Now that I have this magic number, I can retire. And I asked the question, so what are you going to do with your time? Yeah. Well, I, I'm just focusing on my portfolio. I think I'm going to spend my time looking at my portfolio. <laughs> like it was all about right. the money. It's about the money, yeah. It was all about the money. Yeah. And that got me going... <laughs> Well, wait a minute. That's that. That doesn't sound like a fun retirement. That's that sounds not so fun. Sounds like work. Yeah. And and listen, we're not for a second suggesting the money's not important. But yeah. the, the, it, it's not the cent It's not the only focus in retirement. A good quality retirement takes a heck of a lot more than that. And one of the things that it takes is an understanding or a transition and a purpose of what comes next. Right. Yeah. This isn't. It's not a destination. It's a ne the next stage in the journey. That's right. And what we find is there's so many people that are uh, ill-equipped, haven't thought about it, 
because they have just been focused on getting to their magic number. So let's talk about that. We have Furkan Dandia, who's a counselor, author, and a podcaster joining us. Uh, Furkan, thank you, first of all, for being with us today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So you heard our setup to this thing. Let me, let me just throw it to you, the hot potato, and let you run with this idea. How well prepared are people after they forget about the money? Okay, how well prepared are they for retirement? Well, I think that's part of the problem, right? I think after the concept of money or the idea of your identity with what you're doing for work, whatever that may be, people have lost sight of what comes in that next chapter of life. And I think that's where a lot of the anxiety comes in because people haven't thought about that life or that next chapter. And what I try to focus on with people is to think about that purpose, as you alluded to earlier. What is your purpose? And try to take away that identity from the money or whatever your role is, whether you're a CEO or you're an executive somewhere. It's more than that. And I think that's where the struggle comes in because people are so identified with those things. And what I try to focus on with people is look at your vision and your title or your net worth are just means they're, they're kind of supporting that vision, but they're not your vision. And this is a tough concept for people to grasp, but often I also ask them, think about what you're going to ask yourself on your deathbed. Is it going to be about how much money you had in the bank account? Is it going to be about all the titles you had? No, it's about the meaningful relationships you had, the, the tangible things you did for other people, or the legacy you left behind. And that's often outside, whether you know it's your net worth or your titles, right? So I keep coming back to that. Mm-hmm. Furkan, you're now just throwing in a monkey wrench in everybody's program. And let me tell you why I said that. When I'll go back to when I was in grade school. My parents said to me, go get, get educated, go get a good job. You can make good money and then you can retire. They never said, go ahead and get education, go get a job and go find your purpose so that you can have an enjoyable life. It was about the, 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 mm-hmm. the pillars of education, money, retirement that's it right and there was no concept of purpose so now you've got a demographic of individuals and it's my demographic and older i'm I'm gonna make that assumption that the word purpose is fairly new to their vocabulary and so with that how do you change someone's mindset from going what i've been raised at to the mindset of purpose Yeah, absolutely. And I think there, to your point, there is, you know, I can relate to that too, because I was raised the same way. It was the same goals, uh, same things I focused on to achieve myself. But at some point in my life, I realized that, okay, well, I'm living someone else's dream here. And this is not meaningful for me, because I started questioning my own mortality. And to your question, the mindset really needs to shift, because Otherwise, you're you're just plugging away, and you know as we've talked about so far. Once you get to that retirement phase, you don't know what you're doing next, and that's why you need to take a step back and look beyond that. Um, and and part of it is there is a generation gap, right? I think our parents, for me, my parents were immigrants. They had to do those things to be able to provide for their families, and that's what they've been doing. But I see it with my parents too now that they're getting at that retirement phase, they don't know what they're going to do with their time because their identity was associated with their jobs. 
And I think that's where the struggle is. And what I suggest to people with mindset is start thinking about things that you can do outside of work. You can do for your community. Uh, how can you give back? Because those are the things that can provide meaning to you. And those are the things that can sustain you past retirement. Because now you're not identified with, with your job only or mm-hmm. your, your net worth. So, Furkan, let me, let me ask this question. What, what I find with our clients who I would say have this, this vision of purpose, it always revolves around the concept of active service, servicing others versus themselves. So if they're out volunteering, helping people, working with people, taking care of their family, whatever it may be, that sense of purpose or drive is in the form of active service, not act of experience, meaning going and traveling. And yes, they do those things, like they travel, they'll buy stuff, but it's really in the act of service of others is where they find purpose. Is this accurate or is this an anomaly? And if it is accurate, what do people need to do to get to that phase? Well, that is accurate. And I will say this too, there's been tons of research uh, from a neuroscience perspective too, that when people are doing engaging in these acts of service that is when they experience joy so it's not that you're doing this service yeah obviously you're benefiting others but you're also getting something out of it you're experiencing this sense of happiness and joy which you may not experience otherwise so the sense of fulfillment you get from acts of service is definitely proven through research um but I think there's so many opportunities around us that we lose sight of, right? And one of the things I've also shared with men specifically is creating their own tribes. And I'm a big proponent of having men's groups where you can sit with, whether you're in the same age bracket or similar life experiences, you can have these conversations. And that in itself can be an act of service because not only are you learning from other men, but you're also sharing your own wisdom and experiences. And there's been um, a lot of research done around that, too, because we're social beings. We need that sense of connection, which we lose towards that retirement phase of our lives. We don't have those sense of or connections with similar people. And you see that a lot where if you're sitting with men or, or in groups, you're able to support each other. And, you know, if you realize that, hey, I can help you in this area of your life and then the other person can help you in another area of your life. So there are all these opportunities to find purpose. You just need to start looking for it. And it could be in your community, like I said earlier, or within your social circle. But having these meaningful conversations, which we've shied away from, um, that's where we need to start breaking that stigma and, and moving past it. Perkan, how do people get in touch with you if they want to listen to your podcast or connect with you in your, in your group sessions that you have? Well, uh, the easiest way is my Instagram um, or my podcast is called Easy Conversations. It's available on all platforms. And for its social media, it's Unoya Zen, E-U-N-O-I-A-Z-E-N. Um, easy to find me. And um, yeah, Unoya is a beautiful state of mind. And that's what I'm hoping to share with other people. Burkan, thanks very much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Fizz, we spend a lot of time talking about what's happening in the equity markets. More and more, we've been doing some segments on bond markets because bond markets are often uh, signals. The bond market is a signal to what's happening in the economy and what's going to happen in equity markets and so on and so forth. Now, last year, 
we had a tough, we had a first time since 1926 that the S&P 500 was down more than 10% and the bond market, the U.S. bond market, was down more than 10%. First time since 1926. The question is, what's happening this year? Is that a repeat? Is there a potential for that to happen again? And do bonds now play the role, the traditional role that they did prior to last year's experience? What should investors expect here? Yeah, and I think to add to that, Dave, what's, what's happening with your, your average retail investor is that they've been given a happy surprise. GICs, Guaranteed Investment Certificates, um, high interest savings accounts and so forth are now producing, let's call it between 4 and 5%. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. People are thinking that's the place to be. Now, in some cases, they're right. GICs, if you have a term certain issue that you need to pay for or you need the money in mm-hmm. a certain period of time, um, GICs is an option. Right. What they are also experiencing, well, last year it wasn't good for bonds. GICs today offer a better rate of return than it did before. Mm-hmm. So shouldn't we go there? Because, you, you know, if, if they're listening to a portfolio manager, an investment advisor, they're prudent with their money, they're diversified between at least two different asset classes, stocks and bonds, mm-hmm. and now they're looking at GICs as an alternative to conventional bonds. But when we look at that, you and I have done the research over and over again. We've talked to hundreds of bond managers and uh, portfolio managers around the world about this. And GICs is sometimes the default option, but not the best option. Okay. So let's take, for example, what's happening in the bond market and this volatility that we're seeing uh, with all the economic issues, the banking situation that's happening. Um, You don't see that volatility in a GIC. You see it in the bond market. Correct. And the probability of something that happened over 100 years ago to happen again is rare, if almost impossible. So it's improbable. Improbable, yeah. So then let's look at why still look at bonds as an option. Well, I think bonds, I mean, bonds have always been a diversifier in, uh, in portfolios, as you said. Last year was this weird anomalous situation uh, where if you were a balanced investor, meaning you had both those asset classes, you weren't protected in bonds as you normally would be, right? If you go back to 2008, bonds, was a, they were a massive airbag in the, in the portfolio mitigating against uh, volatility in the equity markets, right? So we had that weird sort of once-in-a-hundred-year situation. But coming out of that once-in-a-hundred-year situation, what's really attractive now in the bond market is that yields, interest rates have moved up. So for savers, that's a good news story. Right? I think it's better than that, Dave. Okay. Let me give you the example. Okay, we have in our, our portfolio, we have global bonds. Mm-hmm. And with our, our um, as, as an advising group on the bond side as well that we work with, the cash flow, the interest or the, the distribution that's being paid out is in and around 4%, similar to a GIC or high interest savings account. Yeah. More so like mid-force, right? Let, let's call yeah. it same to same. Yeah, okay. Okay? So we, we have that. This in portfolio of bonds moves up and down. Yes. Okay. But you're not going to just get 4%. 
because there's a concept or a, a, a mathematical formula that is called yield to maturity. Mm -hmm. And in the bond portfolio that we have, the yield to maturity is 7%. The duration or time frame of an average hold of these bonds is around three, four years. So you're going to get around 7% on average over the next three, four years. Right. Versus a GIC, where you'll get 4 5% over three, four years. Right. And this is where the opportunity lies. But the problem is that you don't see that 7% every single year. You see it yield to maturity. Right. And I think it's bonds today, at least the ones that we have in the portfolio, hold a better option than GICs for people who don't need the money on a time-specific outcome, meaning I need the money in 12 months. Yeah, yeah. It's not, there's not a specific liability in a t uh, attached to that with the time frame. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, what's important, um, it doesn't matter what financial product we talk about, <clears throat> I think it's really important that investors um, use the right tool for the job, right? And this is what we often talk about. So is there, there's a place for any kind of financial product or strategy that you've got. The question is, is it the right tool and the right strategy for the job at hand? And I think that's what people have to stay focused on matching up to. But generally speaking, the bond market presents a very attractive option. It's more attractive today than it's been in 15 years since the great financial crisis, right? So it plays, I think, an important role in portfolios at this point going forward. And the shell shock, that recency bias that people are suffering from last year, they got to shake it. they got to shake that. Um, because the asset class has become just that much more attractive than it, it has been in, in many people's investing careers, right? Uh, depending on how old you are. We met with, um, <clears throat> and you actually had lunch with some of the members out of a fixed income shop out of Boston. They were, mm -hmm. they were in town in Calgary. Well, they guys came, we've known for 20 years, yeah. And <clears throat> you had the opportunity to meet with them. What was, what was the takeaway that you got from that meeting? So, um, yeah, these are old, old, old school bond guys. Um, and literally out of Boston, they're managing tens of billions of dollars of global bonds. And I haven't seen Tom as excited uh, about the prospects in the bond market um, maybe in the entire time I've seen him. I've, I've known him. Um, and so he was, you know, one of the things that he was talking about is last year, <clears throat> bond markets took losses. He, one of the comments he made was, yeah, it would be a shame for anybody to move out of the bond market as a result of that, because this is the year we can probably regain those losses. Yeah. So often people, um, again, bonds, they, for 15 years, yields have been so low. They, people just say, well, how could you, if you were down eight or 9% in a bond market, Canadian bond market, uh, you know, the index down almost 17%. How can you recover that? Okay. Well, it can be done, right? And so it was interesting to, to, to talk to him to talk about the current environment, not just yield, but capital growth potential on certain bonds, depending on where you hold them. And remember, it's a global environment. It's not just what's happening in Canada or the United States. There's lots of different places that you can go. And interest rates are at different points. Economies are at different points. And the bond market can take advantage of that. So I think we forget sometimes as investors how big that, uh, that market and is. And I think this is where the opportunity lies for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a diversification to a portfolio, lower volatility, yes. Number two, it actually has some better rates of return than some of the market. Right. And rarely, if ever, do I say 
let's look at bonds more now than ever before. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think there's an opportunity. I think investors need to look at this. If you're not having that conversation uh, with your advisor, start to have that conversation about how attractive these bonds are globally. Right. Um, if the response is, and you can get the response <clears throat> from an advisor who will just react to what the client is saying. Let's just buy GICs. Okay. That is a concern for me because there's no education around the options that are available. Well, and, and, and more than that, I'm going to add to it, have the conversation about what the objective of that money is, right? What we always forget as investors is why are we doing what we're doing, right? When you use the word strategy, it implies that that is attached to something. A mm -hmm. strategy has to be attached to a goal or an objective. Correct. Don't miss that part of the conversation. Yeah, and so that's going to be one big piece. When you're looking for income in your retirement, when you're looking for that cash flow and you don't want to have the volatility of the stock market, yeah. how do you protect that income for the next 3, 5, 10, 35 years of your, of your, of your retirement? retirement? We're going to talk about that at our upcoming seminar on Tuesday, March 21st, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. And I, I think that, um, uh, that the conversations we have in those, in those meetings and the Q&A in particular are fascinating to see how people internalize that. Okay, having said that, we want to thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money. You're on QR Calgary. Um, we look forward to, on behalf of Faisal and myself, we look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.